While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. San Jose. I went to San Jose. Yeah, they rhyme, but they're that does not make them the same place. I honestly, interestingly enough, did not. In my head, you were in one of the four corner states the whole time. I think I thought you were in Santa Fe the whole yeah. time. Yeah. Why were you in San Jose? Because iPhones. I oh, got to, okay. I got to see. I got to see them introduce new iPhones. Well, that's boring, El- but can you And tell Elvis me? Costello was there. Okay, I wanted I didn't want to learn about phones. I wanted to learn about other things that happened. What did Elvis Costello do? He played at the thing and then Okay, so I was standing after the little keynote they have a room off to the side where, you know, people can go and play with the new stuff. And so I'm playing with the new stuff and I'm taking pictures because I'm there for work, of mm-hmm. course. And mm-hmm. um like I look up and there's Elvis Costello like looking around to see if there's a phone free <laughs> and did he look at you yeah he did what did he say did he sing you a song yeah they asked if i could have if they could have a phone and then i gave him a phone and then wait did he sing it though was no he, like, he didn't he didn't sing it. he's not he's not like trapped in that musical episode of buffy and he can only <laughs> communicate through song <laughs> he would have been a good cameo for that episode though would he have been <laughs> Or like, what if he showed up, but he was the only one who could talk? That would be, what a twist, right? It's an Elvis Actually, Costello I think there, demon. There may have been a character in it who could talk. I don't remember. I don't remember. Is not is not as good an episode of TV as some people think it is because all the songs are like really tuneless and only <laughs> like two of the regular cast can sing. I don't mean to put Joss Whedon on blast. Like I, I know people like him, but so. So you became best friends with Elvis Costello. Yeah, that was the coolest thing that happened. Was, did you get to like roam around San Jose at all? Not a lot because I was only there for like two nights. I got in pretty late on Monday and I left pretty early on Wednesday. So yeah, it was mostly mostly Apple. I did go out to a bar and like just and I this is something I never do. Like I just went to go and get drunk alone. Which is oh no. I'd, well, I mean, it's just I I had to, it the thing had went well and I was done, so I was gonna go drink a few beers and then go back and crash. But there were some people sitting there and I like was talking to them and they happened to be like originally from Philadelphia and so we had some what like, yeah what did they have but to yeah say? I never I never just talked to randos so that was kind of a neat experience were they were they both loving and hating Philadelphia. Um. Yes. That sounds about right. <laughs> it's like they they can hate Philadelphia, but if you hate Philadelphia, then I, I was on Reddit. Screw you. Yeah, I was on Reddit yesterday. Oddly enough, <laughs> that happens like once a month, and I was on Reddit Philadelphia, and there was like a thread of like, which bars do you hate in Philadelphia? And I was like, <laughs> oh no! And so I was using that, and uh, these guys were talking about. You know, not only a bunch of bars that they hated, but bars that they hated because they would turn away people with New Jersey driver's licenses. 
which I think is awesome. I can understand wanting to keep the riffraff out, I guess. Like, I don't know. That we did, we did share a moment where we all like collectively agreed that we didn't get Yingling and we didn't understand why anybody would like Yingling. All right, so we're gonna close. We're gonna start the show because I can't abide uh, this <laughs> conversation any longer. Uh, welcome to Overdue. We are a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. We are not a Yingling hating podcast. My name is Craig. Well, my name is Andrew, and we are only half not a Yingling hating podcast. I suppose, but if you need a really good logger. I think Get I know one you can else. order. Oh. It's not you. Man. Funny how we're talking over each other, and I think I'm editing this week's episode. So Yeah, you are. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Maybe I should drop a whole bunch of cuss bombs for Just you, to too. Just penalize me for liking mingling. <laughs> uh, yeah. So kind of you. Okay, Craigie Craig, tell me what book that you read this week. Andy, Andrew, I read Medea by Euripides. Oh, I'm not. I I had assumed that you were reading Tyler Perry's Medea, the novelization of the novelization of, the, of what of the movie, <laughs> which movie? Just all of them, any of them, like a collection. <laughs> Do you even know anything about those movies? No, I know that they the somebody in them shares a name with somebody in the book that you read. <sighs> I can't even riff on this because I know nothing about those movies either. I just know that we Tyler Perry just made would them. Get We'd get really offensive, I think, if we did. Offensive or like just offensively ignorant? There, I think there's. You can be both. <laughs> like. Um. Well, I guess offensiveness is related to Medea, because uh, <laughs> I, I what? No, just just keep. I want to see where you're going. All how right. you're going to tie it in? Well, Medea, the play, which was written in 431 BC by Euripides and was performed at one of the uh, Greek, well, specifically Athenian, you know, annual playwriting festivals. Mm -hmm. It received third place, or out of three, <laughs> got, like, last place. <laughs> uh, Wait, they only performed three at once and they well, got... No, the way it worked is that there would be they would invite three playwrights and then each playwright would uh, create three plays and then a... or three dramas and then a satyr play which is like a goofy comedy we don't know what they are actually mm -hmm. we don't, i don't think we have any extant um but i think then they would get like the playwright would get first second or third prize and euripides got last place that year <laughs> nice uh, now if i recall from my long ago greek playwriting class or like my class where we read a bunch of greek literature uh-huh um, Euripides, like of the of the playwrights we looked at, Euripides tended to be like a little subversive, yes. I guess, of of genre conventions, and audiences did not always get on board with that. That is very true, and, and Medea is actually like a classic case of that. Uh, specifically, that Medea uh, is not Greek, and that okay. is a big sticking point, considering historically at that point. 431, which is when this play was performed, is also the year that the Peloponnesian War started and Sparta started fighting with Athens. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 30 years later, Athens is not under its own rule. Um, so the idea of a main character that is a barbaros, a barbarian, is uh, bad news. Okay. Um, let alone the heinous things that she does over the course of the play. <laughs> uh so yeah, I th I think that 
it seems like it's it's entered into the canon for a, a good reason, but I think part of the reason it is uh, stayed with us are many of the reasons why the Athenians did not like it at the time. Sure, if that makes sense. Yes. So, what do you with your with your classics background, Andrew? What what can you tell me about Jason and Medea? That was all very very long. <laughs> She's the one who killed her kids, right? That's the <laughs> Spoiler one. alert. Let's jump Whoops. to the end. <laughs> yeah, she killed her kids. Uh, they were Jason's kids. Do you know okay. who Jason is? Yeah, he's the Argonaut guy, right? Yeah, Jason and his Argonauts. Did you know that one of the Argonauts... Oh, is he the Golden Fleece dude, too? Yeah. All right. Did yeah, you know you that Hercules was one of the Argonauts? I think I did know that. I always I think. I did not know that. And I think part of the reasons is I always get confused when I'm reading about Greek tragedy and Heracles shows up because <laughs> Heracles is Hercules. Yes. Uh, and no one told me that when I was watching Disney's Hercules. So I get confused. But so it's Jason and Medea. And you're right to bring up the Golden Fleece because, all, you know, and all of this stuff would have been known to Greek audiences at the time. Uh, mm -hmm. But they don't talk about all, you know, they talk about some of it in the play and they, you know, it's characters mention it, but it's not part of the action of the play. But it's just like assumed knowledge of, of whoever's reading it or watching it. Yes. So Jason was, you know, he set sail with the Argonauts and he was supposed to get the golden fleece for this King Peleus. I don't know how to pronounce that, but I'm get, taking a guess. Um, and he was going to get the kingdom from Peleus if he could go get this golden fleece. And to do that, he had to do a whole bunch of stuff, like a whole bunch of trials. Uh, and Medea, who was the king, who was the daughter of the king where these trials were taking place, uh, decided to help him out. She like gave him, uh, like a tincture or something to protect himself from a fire-breathing bull. Okay. She taught him, you know, how to deal with a bunch like this army that magically appeared when he sewed a bunch of dragon's teeth in the ground. <laughs> and she gave this big dragon like some sort of sleeping potion so that he could kill it and get the golden fleece or sneak past yeah. it. I'm not Every sure. time I try and grow an army with dragon's teeth, I just end up killing them. Like I just don't have I don't have the green thumb I need to make that happen. The last time I did it, I ended up with a bunch of terracotta dudes. And <laughs> I didn't know what to do, so I just buried them in China. That's a common mistake. It's, it's rookie <laughs> mistake, rookie gardening, rookie man gardening error. Uh, so that's all the backstory is that Medea totally bailed Jason out a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. And then because... They had because things didn't work out for them with the golden fleece deal. She had to escape, so she killed her brother as a distraction, and then they fled her homeland. Right? Is that the only thing you can think of to do as a distraction? <laughs> I gotta get out, kill my brother. That's your that's your best idea. Smoke bomb, and by smoke Medea. bomb I mean kill my brother. Man, I don't know. Like, I don't like her much already. Yep, so it sounds like she's sounds like she's bad news. She likes to resort to extreme measures, like when King Peleus wouldn't give Jason what he wanted, so she tricked Peleus's daughters into killing him. Okay, um, nice by 
you know, I don't want he was like old and sick and she took like an old sick sheep and like chopped it up and boiled it and then did a magic trick and replaced it with like a newborn lamb. And she was okay. like, you could do this to your dad. It'll totally work. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so is this is this the myth or is this in the play? Like, tell me what the narrative action of the like the narrative arc of the play. Is. All right. This is all in the backstory. Sorry. This okay. is part of the story, not part of the plot. I apologize. So the plot begins, they're in uh, Thebes, right? They're in Thebes? Yeah. And Jason and uh, Medea, of course, and Medea are living there with their two sons. And Jason has gotten an offer from the king of Thebes, Creon. Not Creon from Sophocles, thanks. Okay. Greek tragedy for confusing the hell out of me. Um, <laughs> but a different King Creon has offered his daughter to Jason. Now, keep in mind that Jason's already with Medea. Okay. And so the play starts with Jason having agreed to marry the princess of Thebes. Now, is marrying more than one person, like, okay? No. Okay. He's technically left Medea. They don't really, they kind of gloss over that. Euripides kind of glosses over the like legal ramifications, probably because there weren't any. Yeah. Jason was like, yo, I'm going to go marry this princess because that's better than being married to a barbarian woman who's not. Familiar. Yeah, I mean, I just assume that from a legal perspective, a man can do pretty much anything he wants without checking with a woman until like until like 1920 or so, <laughs> like for a long time. I think that you might want to go to like 1960. Have you seen Mad Men? <laughs> well, I'm talking legally, not like. Oh, not emotionally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's probably right. It's probably well. Once they all like once women started joining the workforce in World War II, I think that's when that's when man started to wise up. Right. Yeah, gradually. Gradually. Yeah, over the course of many years it's still continuing so many would argue that it is still very, taking place. very sorry ladies for just just for everything when was the last what what was the last podcast where we just spent like 10 minutes apologizing to women we've done this before have we I'm i don't know we, we, we need to keep doing it because we did a lot of bad stuff yeah we've done a lot of bad and yes we've done a lot of bad stuff and i would like to correct myself from two minutes ago this play takes place in corinth i apologize oh good job yep Okay, so we're in we're in Thebes or whatever. Nope, we're in Corinth or right. whatever. And King Creon gave his daughter to Jason, and Medea is pissed. Okay, because Medea, as you remember, killed her brother. Yeah, fled her homeland in disgrace. Now does Jason know that she killed her brother? Oh like, yeah. Cause, okay, oh, he, he knows, knows all that this she's stuff. she's bad news. This okay. is this is well known to everyone. <laughs> this okay. is not a secret. Uh, so she's in Corinth, and the the play starts with her nurse, her elderly nurse, just talking, like giving the backstory, saying, "Oh man, she's real upset. I hope this doesn't go poorly." And then, you know, she comes out and she's like, "I'm gonna do something about this," and she, you know, talks about how terrible everything is for her, and she gets uh, Creon comes in, King Creon. And he says, "You gotta get out of get out, you gotta get out of Corinth. You gotta take your sons, and you gotta get out of here, because your husband ain't your husband anymore. He's gonna marry my daughter. Things are gonna be great. 
And nobody likes you and go away. Yeah, nobody likes you, please go away. <laughs> Except not please, just go away. Yeah, right. And she gets pissed and argues with the king of Corinth and that's, you know, no good and insults him and all sorts of terrible things. Mm-hmm. And so she starts to concoct this plan that she's going to exact revenge. And I don't think at this point that she's outlined who she's going to kill, but people know it's something's going to go down. The whole time, the chorus is there, which is a, a chorus of Corinthian women who are kind of, at, st- at the start of the play, they buy into her. She gives a whole big speech about how terrible it is to be a woman. And they're like, all right, we're with you. Do what you need to do. <laughs> this is unjust. This is bad. Tr- you know, you've been poorly mistreated, and you deserve to do something about it. And she gets in a huge fight with Jason, and his whole argument is that, you know, he could do better for his own family than remaining mar- married to this barbarian woman. Uh, and so he's going to marry the princess, and then maybe he'll get to keep Medea as a mistress. And the sons he's already had by Medea will grow up in better security because they'll be part of the royal family. Now, if I have learned anything at all from Game of Thrones, and I'd like to think that I have. You, you've got to learn, got to have learned something. <laughs> um, people who you have a relationship with do not really respond well, you know, when they're told, I'm getting married, but if you want, you can still be my concubine lover person. Yeah, I think, and I think we can say that without actually spoiling anything in Game of Thrones. Just know that... When people are in relationships in Game of Thrones, if they kind of threaten to explore going outside the boundaries, <laughs> it's not going to go well. So we're tying this into like modern popular culture. Yeah. Clearly, yeah. Medea's influence is still alive and well. Today. Yes. O- outside of Tyler Perry movies. Oh, man. Um, so Medea doesn't buy Jason's argument one bit. She's like, this is terrible. Get out of my face. I don't- no, thank you. <laughs> And she starts to concoct this plan that she's going to kill, excuse me, she's going to kill the princess. And uh, who comes along but this guy, Aegeus, who I believe, I don't remember where he's the king of. He's from somewhere. <laughs> I'm trying to find. Let's just say Thebes. Let's it just... might be Thebes. I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to say it wrongly, but. Um, but it's he, too late. It's too late to get it right now. Well, mm-hmm. and he was talking to the Oracle of Delphi, so or Delphi, excuse me, Delphi, yeah, right. Delphi, 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 which I believe is near Thebes, or maybe it's Delphi. Oh know. no! <laughs> um, Flying blind. So he comes in and he's like, "Hey, I, hey, Medea, how's it going?" Um, and I say that like awkwardly he does he comes in he goes hello Medea no one knows a better salutation to greet friends than this (laughs) (laughs) you keep telling yourself that guy Um, and he comes in and he visited the Oracle of Delphi and I think it's Delphi Delphi sure Delphi and the Oracle's got bad news for him Uh, is it a she yeah great she has no news as to why he can't have kids. Like he can't have kids and he went to the Oracle to find out why. And he, he didn't learn anything. So Medea's like, Hey, listen, I'm screwed. Why don't I come with you 
And because I know all sorts of witchcraft, side note, Medea knows witchcraft, <laughs> then uh, I can give you some potions and stuff that'll help you have some kids, and you can have one by me. I'll come with you if you guarantee to keep me safe. Okay. So he swears by the gods that he'll keep her safe. Uh, side note, she seems like, like, why do people keep fraternizing with her? She seems... She killed her brother. She knows witchcraft. Like, is she like really? Is she funny or something? Like, <laughs> no. They talk a lot. About, <laughs> <is> she... <laughs> Does she know like, a lot of good is... jokes? Like, why is, yeah. why is everybody into her? <laughs> she looks really good in those jeans. Like, what is going on? Um, I think it's they talk a lot about how she's clever. Okay, and in a way that I that is usually reserved for like women of note in Greek tragedy. I think she Mm -hmm. has a lot of rhetorical devices at her disposal. Okay. Um, And it seems like often in Greek mythology, like it's, it's cool for guys to be clever, like Odysseus. Yes. If like Penelope or somebody is clever, it's kind of a, like they're considered to be like scheming or like you know bad things. It's it's bad for a woman to be clever, but it's a virtue in a in a man. Yes, precisely. Um, so that's how she can kind of get some of this stuff done. But uh, people don't like that about her necessarily. Mm-hmm. People distrust it. Um, so now that she's got her exit plan with Aegeus, she decides that she's going to kill the princess by. Giving her some gifts. She's going to give her a dress and a crown, right? Okay. She's going to have her sons present the dress and the crown to the princess, except they're going to be poisoned. So that as soon as she... Wait, who's who's going to be poisoned? The, the, the princess. princess. Yeah. Okay. Um, whose name is not mentioned in the play. I believe it is something like Glaus, um, but I can't... I don't... I'm going to look that up real quick. Um... Yeah, Glaus. G-L-A-U-C-E. I don't know. Okay. That could be a translation thing. I don't know. Um, But, so she gives the clothes, the poisoned clothes, to her kids. And they present them to the princess. And, well, first what she has to do is pretend to apologize to Jason. And she's like, hey, I'm so sorry. I was wrong. Please... Get the princess to believe that my sons deserve to stay here in Thebes. They're going to give her a gift, you know, have her accept it, yada, yada, yada. And he's like, oh, that's weird, but okay. So they give it to her, and as soon as she puts it on, she starts dying. Like, she, <laughs> it's like it goes through her body like a fire. And I, the translation I was reading made it sound more like she actually was on fire. And I was reading the same passage uh, online in a couple of different spots, and no, it sounds more like that's a translation thing. Okay, let's. Well, I mean, I imagine it's one of those words where like the language is such that it 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 could be like translated as being literally true, but it isn't actually. Well, and the fact that I read so much like story background story information that she was a witch that i was like maybe she maybe this chick is on fire i don't know uh so she's on fire and then creon comes and is like oh my god my daughter's dying and he goes to embrace her and because he touches the clothes he dies 
So she's killed the princess and the king of Corinth. Okay. Great job, India. Excellent. And the only thing left to do now to punish Jason is to kill her kids. You're staring at me like you don't believe that that is the only thing no, left just, for her to just do. Just waiting, just waiting for you to. So she just, like why? How does she? Does she not care for them, or does that matter? No, her goal is to hurt Jason. She's reasoned out that she has to do everything possible to hurt Jason, and that he will not be allowed to see any of his seed grow or come to fruition. Okay. Um, and there's what I was actually surprised by was there's a scene before she does it where the tutor brings the kids in after they've given the gifts or whatever, and she, like, has to send them into the house. And the chorus has already told her that she's going too far. The chorus at this point is like, oh, maybe you shouldn't kill your kids. Like, that would... <laughs> please don't do this. Maybe you should rethink. This is actually... The kid the, the struck me funny of this week is um, she go, she sends out her whole plan... That she will, you know, she she will dare the most unholy deed, um, and kill these kids to punish Jason. And the chorus says, "Since you shared your plan with us, I want to help you and aid the laws of humanity. Please don't do this." <laughs> uh, and she's like, "Can't be otherwise. I understand why you speak this way, but you've not suffered like me." Um, so she has kind of a tearful pre goodbye with her kids. And then they go off stage, and who's left on stage, I think, is the chorus and the nurse, or the chorus and the tutor, and they're, you know, you can hear the kids are back there like, oh my god, she's almost got us, and then the chorus is like, maybe I should go in and help them, and the chorus doesn't do anything, and then Jason shows up, and he's like, where's Medea, what's she doing, and he mistakes what the chorus is talking about for her plans to kill him. And he's like, I got to save my kids. And they're like, oh, you shouldn't have said that. Now you're going to be extra sad. And then Medea comes out with the kids and she's like, I killed him. And then she comes out in this chariot drawn by dragons. Okay. And she won't let uh, Jason bury his kids because that's making him upset. Right. And then she flies away to go live with Aegeus. End of play. Hmm. Uh, some backstory that we might have missed. Like I said, Medea is a witch. <laughs> She's a follower of Hecate. Um, which Hecate? Hecate. Oh man, I did not realize. I do know that one? I I'm not. I'm not. I'm still not 100 percent sure on Delphi, but Hecate. I, I, know. I didn't realize that Hecate dated all the way back to the Greeks. I, yeah. I, I, the only reference point I had for Hecate was uh, the Scottish play. The witches in the Scottish play talk about the Hecate. Scottish play. I can't. I can't say the M word instinctively. Can I? Can I say it? Sure. Can I say Macbeth? Uh, you just did. Like, Something gonna fall on you now? Like what's? I don't know. <laughs> Is this podcast doomed? <laughs> Am I gonna fall on you now? That's how it works. If you say the word, you just fall over. That's exactly how it works. I don't know. You're staring at me like you don't want to pursue this conversation. No, just like I'm I'm trying to This Medea doesn't sound like great news. No, she's, Medea's she's... Medea's bad news bears the whole time. Um and I think part of what Euripides is up to is 
the play both it seems like both in its time and since has been viewed either as an extremely feminist play or an extremely misogynistic play. Okay, tell me about each reading. Well, it's a feminist play in the sense that Medea has been wronged at the get-go, right? She Mm -hmm. did all this stuff for Jason, and she is repaid by him leaving her for another woman after she has followed him uh, to a land that is not her own and given up all sorts of stuff in her life. And he leaves her. And so she exacts revenge, uh, mostly because there is no legal recourse or societal recourse at her disposal. Uh, I'm leafing right now to her big, like, how much it sucks to be a woman speech. um, (laughs) Because there's a couple really salient points in there, I think, that are important. Um, Because part of what she talks about is that Uh, Oh, here it is. A woman can't get divorced and keep her good reputation, and she has no right to refuse her husband. After arriving among new customs and rules, she must be a prophet, since she was not taught at home how to deal with her husband. You know, if we work hard at this and our husband bears the yoke of marriage without violence, life is enviable. But if not, better to die. (laughs) So she's got a real bad view on male-female relationships. Sure. Um, And... Part of it is the, like, it's the inevitable nature, right? Is that they don't, at least in this society, from her her perspective, she has no other choice, you know, and what's she going to do about it? And the fact that he abused this relationship is kind of what sets her off. Uh, and I think the fact that she is this supernatural character puts her on equal footing with Jason in ways that, a typical Greek female would not be, you know, mm-hmm. and at least gives the audience reason to believe that she would, that she could hold her own. Um, while at the same time, I think it was at least viewed at its time and, and could be now in a misogynistic fashion. Cause it's like, here's this woman who's a whole bunch of trouble and she didn't listen to her man. So she killed her kids. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Like, how could she not understand her husband? She should have, you know, sided with him, and then she had to kill her kids. Like, which which reading does the fact that it was written by a man encourage? Like, does that... That, I, I have no idea. Because it seems almost like the feminist viewpoint could be, like, like, a parody, even? Like, does that make any sense? Oh, like it's... Oh, is it a... Like he's just kind of making fun of, of powerful women or something. I don't know. Ah, uh, see, I don't. I or don't... just like saying that they're all bad news and you should, you should marry a princess and just everything will turn out okay for you. <laughs> yeah, it could be. I I don't know. That's that's troublesome because Jason is not a great guy. Like I was constantly reading reading it, waiting for Jason to like give better reasons for anything that he did. Hmm. And the best one that he has is, you know, if I marry into the royal family of Corinth, then my sons will be okay. But it's like, no, I totally see why he's a jerk. Because there's there's no recognition of what Medea's done for him or what she's sacrificed or anything like that. It's actually set up pretty well. Um, it's interesting, I guess, to note that 
Euripides seems to have been the one that invented Medea killing the kids, mm-hmm. which is a pretty huge change in the story. In, pre- in previous versions of the myth, the Corinthians killed her kids, presumably for for them being the ones to deliver the gifts uh, that killed the prince and the king. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know why Euripides does that. You know what I mean? Like, it's interesting because it seems she kind of reasons it out that it's the best way to punish him, that she has to punish him completely because of what she feels he's done to her. You know, it actually kind of reminded me of some of the terrifying logic trains that happen in Breaking Bad, where it's like, (laughs) I have to I have to eliminate this thing to shore up all these loose ends. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. Um, and she even has like a really tearful goodbye with them. There's a scene where like she it's before she kills them and it's before uh Jason is gone and she is like they're both crying and they're like hugging the kids and it's it's not a scene that I expected to be in Medea. I expected her to just be a terror that just slaughtered everything in her path and for at least there to be one scene where she is tearful over and expressing sorrow for what she's going to do to these kids at least gives dimension to a character that i thought was one note you know Mm -hmm. what i mean yeah um and then I, i was reading a little bit about euripides and what kind of what you were saying is him as a subversive playwright. Um, he's not the first playwright to put women in the chorus, but I think it's important that uh, he's made the chorus women in this play because the central character is a woman, so she relates to them differently. Um, but I also think that he might be in this. I was reading up on this, and it, it seems to make sense. He might have been critiquing what the Athenian audiences were willing to accept as a protagonist Mm -hmm. because he has made a foreigner the main character and that foreigner uh, not only disobeys her husband and the king of her uh, town, but she kills uh, the royal family and then her own children, um, which is pretty offensive. (laughs) Yeah. And she gets away. She rides away in a chariot driven by dragons. What? <laughs> yeah, I can see why audiences would be dissatisfied with that. And vote at third place. <laughs> like, yeah, like what? What yeah, because what if what if Walter White just like killed everybody and then the show ended with him like never getting any comeuppance and he had just killed everybody and that was the end of the show. Yeah. I don't know. It's not it's not spoiler heavy to say like what a weird ending it would be to Breaking Bad if he just got away with everything he'd ever done and a doctor saying giving him a clean bill of health. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's that show. Good job. Good job, AMC. Like, I don't know. It's a weird it's a weird narrative. Because you were asking me like Is what? there is there like an expectation? among audiences at this point that like bad behavior will go punished or, or like an 
I don't know, like an Oedipus thing will happen and eventually the the horrors of everything you've done will come crashing down around your head. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's usually, maybe not in a, like, the most dramatic fashion, but usually what happens is a god shows up and says, hey, you did this wrong, here's your punishment. Or (laughs) there is some sort of punishment that is, hey, you did this wrong, or you went out of your pay grade, ostensibly, and now you're being punished. Like, that's everything that happens in Sophocles' uh, Oedipal trilogy, um, even to the Creon in that trilogy. I was really confused when Creon died in this play because I didn't realize it was a different Creon at first. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I did, know, I did not know that Creon got burned alive from holding his daughter in a poison dress. No, Creon is like the John of Greek mythology. Like, those guys are just everywhere. <laughs> Hi, my name is Creon Smith. <laughs> Um, but even other plays that Euripides has written, like the Bacchae, things go bad for all of the humans in that play. And it's basically Bacchus runs around and is just telling people how wrong they are and they don't believe him or her, depending on how you read it. And then mm-hmm. they all get punished. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no, the punishment is not handed out by the gods. Though Medea is the granddaughter of Helios, so maybe she's part, you know, she's part god, so I don't know if that counts. Like, she gets to ride in the same theatrical machine that would carry in gods. The Like, I don't know what you how you pronounce that in Greek, the mechani or whatever. The deus ex machina. Well, that's, you know, that's where it comes from. There's like a yeah, bucket on a crank that comes over the wall. And that's With a the god in it. That's a god, <laughs> and they're like, "Hey, uh, I'm, you know, I'm Zeus. Stop messing around. Just quit it, quit it, guys. <laughs> quit it. Uh, I do like this play is a perfect example of of the two major bits of Greek stagecraft, which I like nerding out about. Like, there's the there's the god machine, and then there is the akeklama. Do you know what an akeklama is, Andrew? No, enlighten me. The akeklama is the, for lack of a better word, cart that you would bring dead people out in. (laughs) So there's like maybe double doors or some sort of doorway uh, upstage that opens up, and it only ever opens up at the end of the play when someone has been killed behind it. So like usually a character goes back there, or it's like, you know, Oedipus goes back there and stabs out his eyes or something. (laughs) Um, Spoiler alert. But the uh, Medea goes back there and comes out uh, and you've discovered that the that the boys are dead, and then she yeah. reappears in her dragon chariot. Um, yeah, it's it's weird. It's a weird. Sounds play. like a weird one. I liked it though. I don't know. Why? What did you like about it? Tell me one thing that you really liked about it. I liked that it still felt like a dilemma. It didn't feel. It felt like. I knew the, I could tell the box that she was put in, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, you know, and there's a there's a, another choral speech about halfway through where they talk about everything being done in moderation, and that's the pl- and that's what is the fault of all of these characters. Um, they only hint. I think the only place that they talk about this is in this choral ode, which is kind of unfortunate because I think it sheds a different light on their relationship is that part of the Medea myth is that the gods, I think it was Hera 
made Aphrodite make Medea fall in love with Jason. And so this kind of total love for Jason motivated everything she did in their background story, mm-hmm. which set up such a hard fall uh, later. So it's actually, it's, you know, if you read, if you make enough out of that central choral ode, then the th- the play is, uh, becomes a play about temperance, I guess, like temperance of emotion and and not giving way to passion or to ambition. Because I would, I would argue that that's probably what uh, Jason is, you know, by coming into a new town and immediately needing to shack up with the royal family. <laughs> <laughs> He's a gold digger. He is a gold digger. Uh, there's also a line that I kind of wanted just to get your thoughts on um, that is about being friends with people. And it is, um, this is, uh, Medea is, is hating on Jason and she's like, this is neither boldness nor courage. You're looking friends in the face while hurting them, but rather the greatest of all human diseases, shamelessness. (laughs) And I think she's like calling him out for being a straight shooter. How do you feel about straight shooters, Andrew? Do you... I, I like the idea of the straight shooter, <laughs> but often they end up being like jerks, right? That's like, you, is that? Yeah. And it's hard not to have sympathy for the straight shooter because all we ever hear is you should be honest. You should tell me what you're yeah. thinking. And then like, and I, and I, and sometimes I do find myself in the position where I am being the straight shooter and it like makes me feel terrible. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Cause shouldn't I be, shouldn't I be telling like one of the like thousand tiny social lies that I normally tell in the course of a normal <laughs> work day? Like, well, yeah, even if it's just something like a, yeah, that good job. But you know, like even, even that is a little bit of a white lie. You know, if yeah, what you're yeah, yeah. and and there's there's merit to that, and there's also an element of BS that people want to see through. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I know a couple people who are like they pride themselves on being straight shooters, and then they always get crap for it. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. their argument is always, "Well, people ask for the truth, so what am I supposed to do?" You know, you want to reward their bravery, I guess, for stepping forward and being that person. Yeah. Um, and then there was another quote. I guess that's another thing that I like about uh, this play and, and Greek drama in general. That usually there's one-liners, or not one-liners exactly, but kind of snippets that feel a lot more universal than you would expect from a play that was, you know, 2,500 years ago. Mm-hmm. Such as um, the nurse and the kids' tutors are talking about Jason and, you know, how he's wrong, Medea. And the nurse says, I won't wish him death, for he's still my master, but he has proven bad to his friends. And tutor, and the tutor says, what mortal isn't? Do you learn this now? Every single person loves himself more than his fellow man if a father does not love his children because of his bed. Uh, and I was just interested that, you know, 400 B.C., they are still grappling with 
hey, maybe everyone doesn't know how to deal with other people. <laughs> like <laughs> society had progressed to a point where we were, where people were already screwing over their friends for various reasons. Yes, yeah, right. Yeah, we we as soon as we get past like subsistence level stuff, we start being jerks. The big word that I remember from middle school was surplus. You remember like when they're educating you on the growth of human society and they're like, oh, we're hunter-gatherers and here's a here's a map painting of people stabbing a woolly mammoth. And now they they know how, they know what irrigation is and so now they have a surplus so they can, ex- mm-hmm. they can explore arts and leisure and apparently <laughs> being rude to your friends. It's an art all its own. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. There you go. It's Medea. It's cool. The the I think I agree with who the Greek scholars who wish we knew what the other we knew more about the other plays in the mm-hmm. Medea tetralogy. Yeah, like Greek plays are so it's it's kind of sad, I guess, in a way, because we'll have situations where like lists of the plays that were performed will survive. But most of the plays themselves will not have survived. Yeah, and it's like, and also all of these care, all of these playwrights are treating the same myths. You know what I mean? Like they're all talking about the same handful of characters, and they're talking about them differently in ways that reflect their own times, which is mm-hmm. you know fascinating. But we don't know why. You know, Philoctetes is. Uh, it, I think we have the Sophocles Philoctetes, who's you know a wounded soldier in the Trojan War, but it was part of the same four plays that Euripides wrote Medea with. But we have no idea what he was writing about, right? Um, so we don't know if he would have written that play to comment on other, you know, on Sophocles's version, or we don't know if. Uh, this Medea is commenting on another playwright's Electra or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, like you run into you run into situations where you like you might have a play, but you don't have what that play was in response to, or like anything that was in response to it. You kind of have like this middle step with no other context or anything. Yeah, and because and that can be frustrating. Well, and because they're all wrapped up in these myths. So, like, even as I was doing research on this, I was getting confused because. Am I are the are the myth sources that I'm dealing with like the same sources that were part of Jason and the Argonauts or the Ar- Argonautica or whatever that published work was, or is it a bunch of people responding to Euripides and it's their version of events? You know, um, in the same way that a lot you know Western music from the Middle Ages on until a certain point where we started recording and writing down everything, like there are certain composers that we have just because the people who were fans of them wrote down everything they wrote like we don't have other people (laughs) it's just one of those things Uh, man twilight is gonna be like the only book that survives two thousand years from now that no i hope not have we We have twilight fan fiction but we don't have the original (laughs) books I need I need still I still need someone to chart for me why Fifty Shades of Grey is Twilight fan fiction. I don't know why or how. I think we'd have to read both Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey and then like a commentary on both works. Sounds like too much work. Sounds like a way too much work. Speaking of too much work, um 
we are overdue and wait we are <laughs> it's not really speaking <laughs> of anything terrible terrible segue no, wait, out let, here. let me try again let me try again. all right great um speaking of what were we talking speaking about? speaking of killing your kids speaking of <laughs> not speaking of that um, speaking of speaking of tyler perry no we might want to drop those Tyler Perry goops. What? I came in unprepared. You came in unprepared to make half-baked Tyler Perry goops? I think we're yeah. leaving them in okay. to show everyone how half-baked they are. The potatoes are not done. I'm sorry. Sorry about the potatoes. And we're sorry that we're out of time. How about that? Okay. Um, before we leave, we wanted to let you know that you can get in touch with us via Twitter and Facebook at twitter.com and facebook.com slash pod. And you can also shoot us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. You can also hit our website, which is overduepodcast.com, correct? Yeah, that's Did right. I get there? I panicked in the middle there. No, you got it. There You're you can good. find back episodes of the show as well as what we're reading in the upcoming weeks. You can also find uh, links to Amazon for the books that we read. If you find yourself so inclined, please pick one up and we get a little kickback for hosting and other overhead costs. Uh, you can also find links to our iTunes page where you can rate and review us. And if you do so favorably, we would greatly appreciate it. Uh, and there's also and our... if you leave us a bad review, I guess we will not appreciate it. I mean, we'll it. learn from it, I suppose, but we won't appreciate it. Uh, you can also find our RSS feed, which you can plug into your uh, subscription device thing choice i don't know about computers andrew knows about computers. like podcast podcast apps yeah I don't know. Like if you don't like itunes if you don't have itunes we have other options <laughs> or other ways that you can listen to us which you presumably have figured out by now uh Yay. that's about it and we'll see you next week yeah try to be happy Bye.